1: Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug LaMaurice, Ellis Williams, Scott go. We keep running through the AFC North with a Browns lens looking at the teams. The Browns play twice a year. We've done the Ravens. We've done the Steelers. I guess we have to do the Bengals. But you know what? They're exciting. I think they have a terrible coach, but they're exciting. They're interesting. They're going to add people. So we're going to look at their offseason. They got some draft stuff yet to do, but we're going to look at where they are so far. And we're going to do that with Scott Patzko breaking down the Bengals defense. And then in the second half, we'll get to Ellis Williams breaking down the Cincinnati Bengals offense. So let's get right to it. Scott Patzko, dive in with the Cincinnati Bengals defense on gotta watch the tape. So we've noted
2: before here and elsewhere, how the Browns are going to have a lot of new faces on defense next season. It could be like seven to eight different players Uh, compared to last season's week one starters well the Bengals aren't far behind that as far as a defensive makeover goes they could have as many as six new starters on defense plus return of a guy who played only five games last season so it could be a really different group that the Browns are facing next season that's important because again like the Browns the Bengals needed a defensive they needed it like they were 27th in DVOA And that was 27th against the pass, 21st against the run. They just, they were not good. They were 23rd in uh, expected points against, which is actually two spots below the Browns. Like pretty much any way you want to measure defense, the Bengals were not good last season. A lot of this had to do with the fact that the Bengals defense was, again, like the Browns, hit hard by injury last season. Overall, they had the eighth most games missed to injury, and that's without COVID factored in. Uh, That was the most in the division. They had the fourth most games missed along the defensive line and the eighth most in the secondary. And the Browns are actually first uh, in that, in that group. And those are two areas where they really made big pushes in free agency. They signed edge rusher, Trey Hendrickson, who Browns fans will remember from kind of being on their radar uh, during that whole process. He had a career high 13.5 sacks and he turned that into a four year, $60 million deal with the Bengals that was actually the fourth largest average per year salary of any free agent to change their team this off season. And this is coming off his first full year as a starter. He had six and a half sacks over his 30 previous games. So the Bengals are really kind of banking on him being the real deal. He I saw this. Lawson.
1: I, I, I'm sorry. I just have to, I, I just need to interrupt quickly because I looked up this stat. It was in a very advanced analytics site about Trey Hendrickson. And it broke down some very detailed stuff and they determined that it was the number one poopiest contract of the offseason. It just is awful. It is, is that- a bust already. But I just it's just the numbers. I mean, it's a numbers podcast. So I just I don't know what site it was. I think you have to pay for it, but I saw that.
2: Is that an advanced analytics term?
1: Poopiest? I, I mean, I was surprised too. But you know, again, they're all they're so far ahead of the curb I can't keep up.
0: Okay, they, they, they lead the, that, Yeah. They lead the league in PCs, poop, pooping contracts. <laughs> tell you what, you know, uh, w-
1: by the end of this season, we will have thrown that word out that abbreviation to Andrew Barry at some point, you know, Andrew, it seems like you guys have really stayed away from the PCs. What's that meant for roster building? <laughs>
2: <laughs> see if he just talks right over it and just like,
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: anyways, Hendrickson and his uh, unfortunate contract, <clears throat> we'll call it that. Uh, He's the replacement, basically, for Carl Lawson, who signed with the Jets. He was probably the second-best defensive player for the Bengals last season, so that's, that's the hole he's filling. Really, the Bengals have remade their defensive line overall. Sam Hubbard is back, former Buckeye, but last year's big free agent signing, G.J. Reeder, he only played five games due to a quad injury last season, so he's back. And then you have old friend Larry Ogunjobi who the Browns let walk in free agency. The reader deal, by the way, four years, $53 million, $20 million guaranteed. He's a $13 million cap hit this year, which is sixth among defensive tackles. He's one spot below Sheldon Richardson. So obviously they're expecting a lot of big things from him. Uh, guys that these, this group is replacing, Christian Covington, who remains unsigned. Geno Atkins, who was released in March. So it's really a new look front for this team. Another guy that was a big free agent signing last year is cornerback Trey Waynes. He missed all of last season with a pec injury, came over from Minnesota. So again, say it with me, just like the Browns, <laughs> the Bengals defense figures to have a couple impact players. They're, they're hoping they will be impact players returning from injury. Uh, the secondary also added former Steeler, Mike Hilton, the, the nickel corner, Eli Apple and Chidobe Awuzie, who I, I want to call him Chidobe, And then I get the Rolling Stones stuck in my head and then I don't finish this deep dive, but Chidobe Awuzie. Um, Hilt should start at nickel corner. Awuzie could start at one of the outside corner spots. The Bengals lost quarterback William Jackson in free agency, who was probably their best corner uh, last season. They also have um, Darius Phillips coming back. Browns fans will probably remember Jackson as the guy that Odell Beckham Jr. beat uh, in week two for his touchdown catch. It was kind of a big play on play action. Baker rolling out and throwing a, a good strike to, to Beckham.
1: We did that play, right? Weren't we looking at the back of Jackson's we jersey were. for like 50 we minutes on this podcast earlier?
2: Yeah. Number 22 in your program. Yeah, that's the guy. Um, but he had a good season overall as far as measuring himself against the other cornerbacks on that team. Other losses. Josh Bynes, he had the most snaps at linebacker uh, for, the, for the Bengals. He remains a free agent. And the group that's left behind him is very, very young. So the Bengals really put their resources into their pass defense, whether it was rushing the passer or in the secondary. But overall, I mean, the biggest improvement this Bengals defense can make in 2021 is probably just staying healthy. Because like the Browns, they just they had a rough season last season keeping guys on the field.
1: So feels like they could go right either way. That they get healthy and all of a sudden, you know what? They do have a couple good guys, and like they get a lot better. Or they might just be trapped in like a cycle of like they're reaching for dudes and trying to solve problems can I preemptively try to be nice to the Bengals defense and ask if they are they Scott and Ellis potentially trapped where the Browns have been trapped in the AFC North for many years in the past, where it's like, listen, we got to play like six of our games against Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, big Ben doing his thing, chase Claypool. Like, like they they have You said they're putting it all in pass defense, Scott. Like, they've got some quarterbacks that they have to deal with. And we know, I mean, the Browns were that team that were like two automatic wins, it felt like, for everybody else in the division for a long time. And you could look and say, like, what's wrong with you? And then it was like, well, I mean, these other guys are pretty good. They make a lot of people look bad. Is that when we think about where the defense for the Bengals was ranked last year, Scott, I mean, the other three teams in this division made the playoffs. What was some part of that? Like, hey, man, you just... You know, you played some good offenses in your division.
2: Yeah, I I think I look at the Bengals kind of like I look at the Cowboys right now is where deep, their offense is just way ahead of probably where their defense is. Uh, I mean, they have two good safeties at the back of the defense, which we'll get to. Um, but in front of them, uh, they, they struggled. And especially, like, I'm not sure what they're going to do at linebacker, but none of those guys graded well. Um, especially now that Bynes is gone, what they're left with is is really uh, not good, and they don't have that other piece like the Browns had to build, build around yet on defense. Um, you know, they don't have Hendrickson, Obviously, is not Miles Garrett, and he didn't come into this league as 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 Miles Garrett that kind of hype, and he's not going to be that. But they don't have that other piece yet, and it doesn't look like they're going to use their high draft pick to go that direction this year because they have a quarterback to think about. So I, I look at this more and I'll get into it here in a minute that they've really shuffled in new guys because last year's group didn't work. And it's not so much that this group is guaranteed to be better if they're healthy, they'll probably be better. But from past experience, this group, you don't look at it and say, wow, this is a huge improvement over last season.
1: Ellis is your inclination in what Scott's presented so far and what you saw from the Bengals last year. Is there some benefit of the doubt based on tough division and injuries last year, or does it feel like, no, they're just, they're kind of flailing defensively.
0: Yeah. I don't give them much of a benefit of the doubt at all. A theme of this podcast is going to be rhetorical questions. I ask the Bengals and we can start with where are they going on defense? Where are their pillars? You know, they lose Carl Lawson due to really a year's dispute in the contract like Hendrickson is getting the same per year that Lawson's getting from the Jets but they can get out of that deal in one year where Lawson's getting three or four guaranteed from the Jets so that was the discrepancy there like we were doing a roundtable I think when that broke and we were like wow Hendrickson for the same number Lawson's getting like and that ended up being the skinny on that so commitment issues there and then they go and let William Jackson walk and bring in his replacement there. And again, that is a potential pillar that they could have just franchised. You know, the, the, you don't have to let these players walk for nothing. Franchise them, figure it out later. Cap stuff really is an issue with you. And a, another corner they signed, along with Trey Wayne from Minnesota, Mackenzie Alexander, a year ago, played about 13 games for them and then is back in Minnesota already. So I see a trend of just one year at a time doing things they think work in the moment, but there's no long-term plan, thus answering the where are your pillars question with, they don't know either. So unlike the Browns who have clear pillars and Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and have built around that accordingly these past three or four years, the Bengals have had guys, you know, a, a slight, a tier lower than of course Garrett and Ward, but still guys who are more than capable of, either being those pillars for the time being or growing into that and they've just let them walk. So I'm not letting the division be a cop-out for them. I I think they're directionless. It is interesting. I love the idea of that. I mean, just,
1: I don't know if it was great planning by the Browns or just like the way it did work out that in Garrett and Mayfield and Ward and Chubb, they got young pillars two on each side of the ball in two drafts. And that's very hard to do But it would make sense. I mean, I I keep – I have a thing on on my list of I want to do sort of like the teams, like the pillars for each team, you know, the offensive pillar, the defensive pillar. And it's easy to do because the Browns so clearly have it. Picking five, it would make sense for the Bengals to maybe do that. There's just not a guy in this draft to do that with. I don't even – like who's the best defensive player in this draft, right? Is it – Micah Parsons. You can't take Micah Parsons at five. He's not it. Like Patrick Sertain. I don't know. But there's so many receivers – there's Kyle Pitts. There's tackles. They still need all of those. That it's like they they almost have to ignore defense with this top five pick. The way the draft broke down because there's not a Joey Bosa sitting there, right? There, there's just not. So you know you're, you you got to be beholden to the talent. And so they are Scott, as you sort of said, like you know they'll take guys in the second or fourth or whatever. They'll add some defensive guys, but there's no clear, obvious solution coming for the defense at the top of this draft, like there is going to be for the offense.
2: Yeah. I mean, say what you want about the Browns uh, passing on quarterbacks draft after draft, but when they dropped in Baker Mayfield, he was in a much better situation uh, overall than, than Joe Burrow found himself in. So, um, you know, they're, they're going about things a little different than the Browns did. And yeah, they, they might say that like reader and Jesse Bates are their pillars on defense, you know, Maybe, (laughs) but again, those aren't, you know, it's not the same kind of deal. you know, Reader's a guy you brought in and it's just, it doesn't compare very well.
0: Yeah. And look, I see if they pay baits, you know, that's what I, that's what I'd love to see. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. So, so, all right, they got to stop the run. They got to stop the pass, especially when they're playing the Browns, you've got to deal with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Will they be able to do that? In 2021, Scott, based on what they've moved in and moved out?
2: Uh, remember how you said you were going to try to be nice to the Bengals?
1: I I'm, just feel bad.
2: <laughs> okay. The Bengals gave up 148 yards per game on the ground last season, an average that was fourth worst. That includes 5.1 yards per attempt, which was second worst. Only the Texans were, were uh, below that. Getting Reader back in the middle of the line for a full season should help. He's been good against the run in his career. He graded at 83.9 in 2019. His, that was his final year with the Texans, and that was sixth among interior defenders. So you got someone who's who's shown that, that he can do well against the run. But if he's playing the bulk of his snaps next to Ogunjobi, you're asking Ogunjobi to become what he was basically as a rookie. He's gotten worse each year versus the run. He graded at 83.8 his first year, and that – You know, there was a lot of expectations with him here with the Browns. And then it went to 67.3, 60.2. And then last season, 53.8. He also graded 30.4 as a tackler, which, you know, you put all that stuff together. It's a large reason why he's not here anymore. Sam Hubbard on the edge, 34th against the run among edge defenders last season. Hendrickson, again, in his first full season as a starter with the Saints, ranked 85th. His grade was 54.8 last season. But both those guys were in the 70s the year before. So, you know, which player are you getting and can you get that person for a whole season? But, I mean, again, that's the first line of defense though against a Browns team that rushed for 215 yards in week two against the Bengals, 6.1 yards per carry. The Browns only rushed for 82 yards in week seven against the Bengals. But again, that was without Chubb and Teller. And we remember um, Baker Mayfield kind of having a magical day that that day, the bigger issue for the Bengals run defense, I think is a linebacker where you, you return Jermaine Pratt. He created a 29.3 against the run last season. And then you got a rotational guy, Logan Wilson, 48.1. They're the top returners at linebacker in terms of snaps from last season. The only Bengals linebacker to create above even 50 against the run, according to PFF was Jordan Evans. And he had just 63 snaps last year. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to stopping the run or, like, a run game like the Browns, which is one of the best in the league, the Bengals really need their defensive line to be the best version of itself because the linebackers haven't shown that they can cons- consistently deal with that in the NFL. And then after that, you know, you're you're asking your safeties and your cornerbacks to to make plays, and that's a bad place to be.
1: I feel bad. I just – I feel bad again because – the Bengals aren't good enough yet to start worrying about, well, we've got to beat the teams in our division. They're just trying to beat anybody. They're building. But at some point, Ellis, like, are we not talking about the two best rushing offenses in the league with the Browns and the Ravens? And they're completely different. But if you're the Bengals, you're looking at the next, I don't know, four years at least and being like, well, a quarter of our schedule, we've got to stop Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And we've got to stop Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins. And like, you have to do that. Like at some point, Even if they're not doing it right now, Scott, like Ellis, at some point they have to prioritize what are we going to do against the run or they're going to get steamrolled by four games a year out of 16. Out of 17, 17, I'm going to do that. That's the new San Diego Chargers. I'm going to say 16 games for a season, 411 times between now and September. I apologize. I'll go in. Do we have an editor? Can the editor go in and just every time I say 16, just drop it at 17? I'll just give you a heart. There's a cut. Just use this cut every time I say 16. 17. And just use that whenever you need to drop it in. But Alice, like that's a real thing, right? This is a division, and it's one of those. Oh, it's the FC North, it's cold, or whatever. It's Nick Chubb and it's Kareem Hunt in this offensive line for the Browns. And it's Lamar Jackson
0: who's a unicorn. It's tough, man. No, I agree, Doug. Like the Oakland Raiders are probably gonna go eight and eight this year. Uh, oh, wait, oh, edit sorry. that out. Did you see, yeah, see there you go. See what I did there? You messed up twice there. That's that is good.
2: Hard to cover that this is all wrong.
0: The getting Oakland to... Raiders go eight and eight. Oh, I love it. Oh man, getting hard to cover this league, y'all. But no, to answer the question, when it comes to the Bengals, I think what this Bengals defense, what Scott said at the jump of this was completely accurate. It's it's a Dallas Cowboys light situation going on in Cincinnati. Yes, they're going to have to build this defense to eventually deal with the ground game of the Browns and everything the Ravens can do to you. But in tandem to what you said, Doug, about the top of this draft, there's really no quick way to do this, you know, unless you want to retain guys like, you know, Atkins and Carl Lawson and Dunlap, which they have not done. So they've gone the other way with that, which means when we get to my dive, this offense's workload and the responsibility, the burden this organization is putting on Joe Burrow in that offense is massive because they're just not a quick plan to fix this defense right now it's it's a two two three-year project probably better against the past
1: scott any more hope against the past because i will say the one signing von bell last off season i think von bell might be of the guys that i have covered at ohio state the guy who's like the best ohio state player in the nfl right now who's not a star like he's just a really, I think he's just a really good football player. And I don't know that the average, if you're just an average NFL fan, do you think about him much? He was a second round pick. He started in new Orleans for a bunch of years. Now he plays for the Bengals. I think he's a really good player and they have, they have a couple of good safeties. Does that mean they're good against the pass or no?
2: Um, well, before I get, that, get to that Von bell, actually uh, really good against the run for the Bengals last season, Jesse Bates too. They were their top two grades. And one thing I didn't mention before that the Bengals do have a new D line coach. He came over from Miami. Um, the Marion hobby. But again, my, Miami was not one of the best uh, rushing defenses in the league by any stretch. They were 22nd in DVOA. So they're trying to make changes. They're bringing in new players. They have a new coach along the defensive line, but obviously they got a lot of room to make up for it. Now, as for, as for against the pass, answer your question. No, they are not better against the pass. <laughs> they, uh, Whoops. Jesse Bates was good. Bates was actually one of the best safeties in the NFL last season. He led all safeties in PFF defensive grade. He was second in coverage grade. He was over 90 in both. He had three picks, passer rating of 42.3 against, somehow didn't make the Pro Bowl. Um, bon Bell was decent in coverage mid-60s, but, I mean, paired together, you got two guys who are pretty consistent, and you can kind of count on the back of that defense. But other than Bates in coverage and you know, guys like William Jackson, who are no longer there. The rest of the Bengals pass defense just did not have consistency when it came to defending the pass. And if we want to start up front with the pass rush, the Bengals were last in sacks. They had 17 last year. I mean, Miles Garrett could have that by himself this year. Um, They were second to last in pressures. And that was despite blitzing uh, at a rate that ranked 15th. So they're kind of in the middle in, in how often they went up to the quarterback, but they were just, not good at getting it done in terms of traditional defensive stats. The Bengals were yet again, much like the Browns middle of the pack in yards allowed. Uh, They gave up 31 passing touchdowns or 32, actually the Browns gave up 31. Both teams had 11 interceptions and their passer ratings against were basically uh, in the same ballpark, 96.1 and basically 95. So if you saw the Browns, you kind of get an understanding of what the Bengals were going through uh, in their secondary last (laughs) season. Mike Hilton is an upgrade at slot corner. Uh, Ellis mentioned uh, Mackenzie Alexander, uh, the guy who helped Jarvis Landry have a really good game in week seven. Um, against him, he had like four out of five targets he caught hit a PFF grade over 80, um, but adding uh, Trey Waynes back to the secondary isn't as clear a boost. He gave up 14 touchdowns over his final four seasons with the Vikings. He's never graded above 66 in coverage i'm sure ellis has thoughts on him being a former vikings uh serial watcher <laughs> uh darius phillips returns as i mentioned he was in coverage against people's jones uh for that touchdown in week seven he also gave up two huge catches to richard higgins in that game so again it was consistency that uh that was a problem last season you're adding in new players that you hope will will kind of be the difference baker mayfield he, remember, as said, he didn't really do much at work in week two because the Browns ran all over the Bengals. He was just 16 of 23, 219 yards in that game. He wasn't sacked in either game by the Bengals. He was only under pressure on 12 of his 52 dropbacks over those two games. And when he was under pressure, he was 7 of 12, and he had one pick. And then in week seven, of course, he starts out 0 for 5, then he rips off 21 straight and almost 300 yards, five touchdowns we remember that game for Baker Mayfield, but, and, and, and the Bengals by then were missing a lot of people. Cause I said before they were dealing with a ton of injuries, but the Browns did not have in that game. They didn't have Odell Beckham after the second play. They didn't have Chubb or Teller or Austin Hooper in that game. The Browns put up 35 points on the Bengals in week two. They put up 37 in week seven. So, if there's going to be a gap that's closed, it's not clear that this new group of defenders is going to have a significant impact on that. It's going to probably happen on the offensive side where the Bengals, maybe kind of like the Browns again, are in a situation where they know they have to outscore the other team. Maybe the Browns don't have to do it to the extent that the Bengals do in 2021, but that's still, that's still where the Bengals are. And you know, you're kind of, you're, you're kind of hoping like, is is Hendrickson for real? Can the change of scenery get Ogan Jovi back is the, you know does this does a new group in the secondary are they going to play uh, as well as they have in their careers in some cases and that's kind of where the Bengals are at uh, as far as defense goes and you're going up against an offense like the browns with uh with a secondary with a lot of questions with a pass rush that has a lot of questions it's that's a tough place to be, and that's where the Bengals are It
1: just feels like these are. Two games in 2021 where Ellis, the Browns offense has to feast, right? They just, it's not a, it's not a fair fight at this point. The Bengals are trying to build something defensively and the Browns offensively are there. They should score 35 a game on these guys.
0: Yeah. Baker Mayfield able to do whatever he wanted in those three quarters against the Bengals in Cincinnati. And then Nick Chubb and cream hunt ran all over them. You really can open the entire playbook up and, and do what you want which again goes back to what I've been saying so much of this, the defensive issues land on the quarterback, Joe Burrow shoulders. So Scott, I think you've made a compelling case
1: for their defense, not being very good in 2020 or not going to be very good in 2021, but it also like, can you see the path of how it will improve then in 22 and 23 or are they just sort of like treading water here and they really still are going to wind up doing a, a, a more of a full reset before they actually figure it out here?
2: I would suspect they're going to have a draft kind of like what we're expecting from the Browns or a free agent offseason, kind of like what, we're, what we saw from the Browns maybe next year. Like they didn't get to see Wayne's last season, so they don't really know how he fits into what they're doing. And like I said, Reader only played five games. So there's a couple guys that could help answer some questions about the direction they go. But like we said, they don't have those young pillars that they're building around. They're they're still on the offensive side of the ball with all that. Um, So it's kind of hard to project without seeing this season. But I think they're going to have – they're going to get answers um, because it's like they have two free agency classes in one year here. And they're finally getting to look at everybody all together.
1: Okay. Sorry if you're a Bengals fan and you listen to that. I don't know. Scott did his best. Um, It is what it is, man. But, but, but more hope on the other side of the ball. Joe Burrow, the Bengals offense. We'll do that next on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, back on Gotta Watch the Tape. And we'll be honest. We've been gone for 24 hours. The clowny stuff broke in the middle of the podcast so we stopped for a day and uh now we're back at the Bengals. so make sure you're listening obviously you are i mean all the clowny stuff it's clowny time baby but there's other things going on so this is a good sort of like other look at the browns we're now diving in to the other side of this and it's joey b joey b and and the tigers man like what's up with this cincinnati offense and i know ellis i mean like you're Focusing on sort of like what the Bengals did in the offseason, but like the most important thing the Bengals are doing in the offseason is like getting Joe Burrow healthy. So I'm curious what else is going on with them. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape.
0: Yeah, I'll do my best here to act like it's been a five second break, a 10 second break, and not a 24 hour one and recall what Scott said 10 seconds ago about the Bengals defense. I think I'll do all right. But Doug, you're exactly right. This Bengals offense. Really, you'd think starts and ends with Joe Burrow, right? Get him a few weapons, contend every year. It's that simple. Wrong. Doug, you've been on this, and it's dated in simplistic thinking that costs Colts fans a decade of Andrew Luck. Think about it. Luck is only 31 years old. Matt Stafford, who just was traded to the Rams from Detroit, is 33 33 years old, and the ageless wonder Tom Brady is 43. Ignoring positions like an entire defense or an offensive line, awarded the Texans, Deshaun Watson, a 4-12 record, and a lot of other issues. So, Bengals fans, your team is 6-25-1 over the past two years. And if Bengals fans aren't listening to this, then Browns fans understand that the Bengals have been in a tough spot and continue to be there, as you heard in the first part of this deep dive by Scott. So, how do the Bengals avoid becoming Houston? Let's start up front as Doug teased. No issue compares to the Bengals' holes up front. They added Riley in for agency and re-signed Quentin Spain. But the needs for a significant upgrade on the interior and long-term at tackle are massive holes and primary issues. In the draft, they must come away with multiple answers at the offensive line or, again, jeopardize the health and effectiveness of Joe Burrow, which is why I teased Andrew Luck and Matt Stafford at the top of this. Because it was their offensive line that did the minute a year ago. In week seven, the Browns pressured Burrow 14 times, sacked him five times, and hit him two more times. In week two, he faced 30 pressures, was sacked three times, and hit five. That, he threw it like 20 more times in that one game, but you get my point. And it really, it's no wonder why he eventually tore his ACL standing upright in the pocket for the Bengals. Revisiting those Bengals-Browns games, by the way, is a lot of fun. We did a little bit on the first half of this dive. I think a rewatchable ep- episode of the Week 7 game would be a blast. It was really like three games in one, headlined by o- Ohio quarterback duel. Uh, Burrow threw for 400 yards, completed 35 of 47 passes, three touchdowns, added a rushing score, plus 34 yards on the ground. His leading receiver was Tyler Boyd, 11 grabs, 100 yards, and a score. His average yards per reception was 9.2 yards. Juju Smith-Schuster-like, Boyd killed the Browns in the middle of the field in short, serving as a run game. However, serving the Browns, passing chart, Burrow really can throw it all over the place. You know, this isn't a Lamar Jackson thing. He can throw outside between the numbers, the hashes, it doesn't matter. The Bengals do this by running a lot of empty set backfields, which allows Burrow to cut the field in half and read low to high. So despite the meeting offensive line help badly, there are also serious holes at wide receiver and tight end, which we'll get into. But guys, let me ask you this. We did an NFL power ranking, and I don't know where uh, one of our roundtables, I don't know where the Bengals necessarily finished up, but obviously they weren't top five like some of us had the Browns, I I admit, I will not, we may, we may revisit that after this clowny news, (laughs) but anyways, riddle me this. Should the, should Browns fans be more concerned about the Bengals than really us three on this podcast are leading on considering the Browns won both games by a combined eight points, meaning each win was by less than a touchdown. I'm going to answer that eventually, but I want you two to try it first. If the Browns are so much better than this Bengals team, why were the two games last year so close? It's
1: a good question. I think part of it is that the they caught the Bengals at the time when the Browns were still figuring themselves out. Like the the Bengals, the you know what was it week two and week seven, right? That's yeah. like early, like you know, like the first the first game was almost a toss up, and it was like wasn't the real Browns yet, and then like it was their coming out party the second time. So I think that's part of it. I don't think they're afraid of the Bengals now because it feels like to me just in general, I think the Bengals are just tracking like three years behind the Browns and that they might actually just follow the same kind of plan. And that that means like, I think if we think the Browns are setting up for a little run here, right. If you think the Browns are going to try to have a chance to be good with this core for the next five or six years, I think at some point in there, the Bengals might be a problem. But not yet. So I'm I'm not thinking about it this year, Scott, but which is why this offseason, this draft is important for them, because I can see them getting there. I mean, you know, I mean there's no guarantee, but they've at least not got the quarterback. And I think when you look at this offense, you can see a couple pieces. But I'm not worried right now.
2: I think the Bengals are a good reminder of how different the Brown season could have gone in twenty twenty. The seven games by seven points or less. The Browns won, and a lot of those were in the second half of the season. I mean, the Jaguars that was, <laughs> that was like a two point game. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it you you barely beat a team with a rookie quarterback who, when he went down, was only what two, two, six, and one. Like, don't, I guess you don't count the game, they got hurt, but um, yeah, we we talked before the Browns had a, a negative point differential, and that is, I think, that's a flag that you got to pay attention to going into the next season. I know. All the vibes are great around the Browns and they've made all these moves to improve, especially the defense, but they really could have had a much different season and it wouldn't have taken a lot for it to happen. And the Bengals, like I said, are a good reminder of that. And I think we should all maybe remember that when it comes time to making predictions.
1: Well, <laughs> hold on a second. This is a podcast about how the Bengals suck. This is not taking Super Bowl shine <sighs> off the Browns. Where did that come from? I was asked if the Bengals suck or not. And Scott was like, I don't think the Browns are as good as you think. Well, what I'm saying is that, yeah, the Bengals are
2: bad, but I don't think we should sit here and, and just kind of discount them for, for next season, because. where this is about how the Bengals impact the Browns and. The gap last season was like five points and three points.
0: Scott, Scott, you just want to write a prediction piece and predict the Browns record tomorrow, don't you? I know We know how much you love predictions. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I yes. mean, it, it's hard. Joe's good,
1: right? Like, if, if Joe Burrow is fine from a health standpoint, I mean, there's no reason to think he won't be. I mean, he's good. I think he's the kind of guy who can – he kept them in the game, right? Like, he was doing some stuff in week two that was like, well, man, this guy's – showing that he's got it because he's are sort of hanging around maybe when they shouldn't be. So they have a little bit of talent, but I think, you know, I'm not going to give you like, well, the Browns know how to win and the Bengals did. not And that was the difference last year, but I think there's a greater depth of talent, right? With the Browns right now. I think that's indisputable, but uh, you know, it is hard, man. It is hard. I think Burroughs got it. And so if you think that, man, where else would you want to want to, where else would you want to start? So that's a good sign for the Bengals. And now let's get back to why the Cincinnati Bengals suck,
0: Scott. (laughs) I agree there, Doug. And that's when you start with Burrow, that's why this five pick is so important. These are the picks you can't mess up. If the Browns whiff at 10 last year, it's a completely different season. And we can if and and but our way all around this, but it's legitimate. You know, picks miss. It's a 50-50 hit rate in the first round. They can't mess up at five. Luckily for them, there's a... Uh, two players, three players that probably will make it so they can't mess up. They just seem like can't miss. But again, it's the draft. You just don't know. So before we get there, let's pivot back to free agency very quickly. Uh, Three names you really need to know. I already mentioned Riley Reef. He'll play right tackle coming over from Minnesota Uh, about a replacement above slightly above replacement level player. He by no means is a long-term solution, but he will give them some stability right away there. Uh, But two offensive staples are gone, A.J. Green and Gio Bernard. I won't spend much, if any time, on Gio Bernard, but you guys, um, A.J. Green leaving Cincinnati, I can keep going, but Scott, as our in-house Brown historian, you want to pour anything out for A.J. Green here? I mean, uh, 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 made a career out of tearing up the Browns, I'm sure.
2: Well, yes and no. A.J. Green kind of lost his luster when Joe Hayden left because those were good battles, and sometimes Hayden would just, like, shut them down. And then, you know, AJ Green made some miraculous catches too against around. So I think now they're both gone. It's that, that was, that was really the battle is, is those two guys.
0: Yeah. And, and that's really a a good point about how, like it was a sizzle out. It sounds like, and that's exactly what happened with AJ Green's career in Cincinnati, which I, I will tease at the end of this, when we, we get to um, where the Bengals may be headed, but, to stay on green because it does matter about their wider receiver core and what they may do now that we're exiting free agency and headed to the draft. AJ green had 47 catches last year, 523 yards, two scores. He had 104 targets, which was third on the team. T Higgins had 108 Tyler Boyd, 110. So, you know, all about the same to put that in perspective, The Browns' leading target getter was Jarvis Landry with 101, so less than A.J. Green, who was third on the Bengals. The next closest on the Browns, Austin Hooper, was 70. The Bengals want to throw, and they're going to throw a lot, and when they do, it's to their wide receivers. They were 13th in pass attempts last year, 36 per game. Last thing on A.J. Green, he had the least amount of yards per separation and caught only 45 Percent of his targets. Think about it. 104 targets, only 47 catches. It was his lowest percentage in the NFL. Bengals were also a top five least explosive offense last year. That's the case for Jamar Chase. It's really the same case for Kyle Pitts. Without diving into the tight ends, because there's not much reason to. The Bengals have been bad at that position for a long time. Really since Tyler Eifert started getting hurt, it never really panned out. He left the team a few years ago anyway. So that's Chase. That's Pitts, receiver tight end offensive playmaker option and then there's Penny Sewell at five the giant left tackle at Oregon the Bengals have always been good at tackle it's an organization that understands what stability of that position truly means from Anthony Munoz Willie Anderson Andrew Whitworth they have invested there and if they do go with Sewell having three starting tackles is not an issue the Bengals could play Sewell at right guard while Jonah Williams and Riley Reef play outside and then once reef leaves or they figure something else out, you slide swell outside and you, you bolster that offensive line. It it would work wonderfully in my opinion. And Penne would be a freak right guard as a rookie. So I can keep going on this draft stuff. Anything you guys want to add at number five, because I think not that what happens at five will have anything or any influence what the Browns do at 26, but I'm about to build a case as to why these two things should be at least in the back of our minds connected. I mean, I do the point you make about, you know, you don't always hit on your draft
1: picks. I I do feel bad for the Bengals a little bit in that they did take offensive line in the first round, the two drafts before burrow. And in 18, they took Billy price, who I know really well from Ohio state. And I loved Billy price as a prospect and he has not been good. I thought Billy price had a chance to be like a pro bowl level center Draft that guy in the 20s, put him in the middle of your line, and see it in a decade. And that has not worked. And it screwed up the interior of their offensive line. And then Jonah Williams, the next year, gets hurt, misses his whole rookie year. And then he played last year, but I'm just looking at this. He ranked 47th in tackle grade, which yeah, is not good. But he also and he also got hurt at the end of the year. So it's a, one of those things again where it's like, well, I think we talked about this on the other side of the ball. It's like, okay if somehow price still got it together and Williams got healthy and they've added reef. And what if you do draw like it, the offensive line has been the thing that Bengals fans just talk about all the time, it could get fixed quick because they have tried and it kind of hasn't worked yet, but a guy like Sewell could bring that all together. So, you know, it's there's some, there's some sexy skill guys there, Scott, but it's been such a thing. And then it just felt like all year people were just like, Whatever happens, just get through the year, protect Joe Burrow. And it was like, nope, couldn't make it. And it, like, it almost like brings the hammer on, like, you've got to make sure your line is set. And I think that would be very tempting for them. Just go O-line and make sure this guy doesn't get hurt again.
2: I mean, they, they just took a tight end with Sample in the second round two years ago. And that's the guy that really hurt the Browns in week two. He had the tight ends overall. I can't remember the other guy off the top of my head. But tight ends overall, I wrote down 11 catches against the Browns in week two. And seven of those are against linebackers. Yeah. Um, and Semple had like five catches in week seven. And half of those were against linebackers. So um, he got the job done, <laughs> at least against the Browns. But, uh, I mean, you look at Kyle Pitts, so it's got to be enticing and, you know, flashy flashy receiver versus protect our, our franchise quarterback. That's a, that's a decision there.
1: And this is Ellis. I know the Browns, again, I just think the Bengals should look at the Browns. And there's a lot of good things they can learn. The Browns last year signed an offensive tackle in free agency and drafted an offensive tackle and fixed their line. So the Bengals have signed a guy. You could draft the guy, and you could fix a lot of stuff quick. It's not a bad plan to follow.
0: Yep, that's exactly what I'm about to get into. Scott, real quick, I am curious as to where you fall on the positional debate of stud receiver versus tackle sort of like how you know where you land on or at least where you've we've figured out the Browns land on coverage versus pass rush. Do you do you have a strong opinion on that either way offensive? I think it de-
2: depends on where you're drafting. I mean if you're drafting okay. in the top ten, then I think you know tackle makes a ton of sense. But later on, if you don't have that high pick or maybe you got too many other uh positions to go for instead of tackle, then yeah I ideally you're, you're getting that guy experienced guy in free agency, but if you're not drafting in the top, top half of the first round, you're probably looking elsewhere for your, for your tackle.
0: Yep. Yep. We tend to agree there. And that's really what I'm going to get into before we, we talk about the Browns at 26, because Cleveland, what, what really was the issue as we've, been unpacking is that Cleveland dominated the Bengals up front last year, whether it was stuffing their run game in week two. The Bengals averaged 2.9 yards per carry. That jumped to 3.8 yards per carry in week seven, or it was pressuring, hitting, and sacking Joe Burrow. The, the Browns just whooped since the up front. That advantage, as Doug was teasing, probably won't be as one sided next year. The Bengals will either draft an offensive lineman at five as Scott just laid out in that, that debate between you're picking high, go tackle, or they'll do so at 38 high in the second round. And as Doug also mentioned, they could very well grab both offensive linemen being Penny Swole and then Creed Humphrey, an interior offensive lineman from Oklahoma, at five and thirty-eight. Very quickly that offensive line can change. And that's not their only route. If if Pitts goes four let's say to the Falcons then it really comes down to Penny Sewell and Jamar Chase there's a lot of reasons to pick Chase he'll consistently be open in the NFL and he'll be explosive explosive doing so the Bengals could hold off an offensive line at number five and then address that's those spots in rounds two and three because those picks are so high as I, I just laid out some talent could fall if they land Chase plus two week one starting offensive linemen which the 38 pick probably you could feel some confidence that he'd be a day one starter around three guys getting a stretch, but they already brought in Riley reef. Keep in mind. So the point is that this, the dynamic ability of this offense changes pretty quickly with chase and they still can sure up that offensive line in a few different ways. So a trio of T Higgins, big downfield receiver, Tyler Boyd and Jamar chase should immediately concern Cleveland. This is how the Browns tie into it and why I think this 26 pick becomes quite important when we survey both the AFC North and the teams at the top of this conference. Sure. The Browns short up the middle of the field in their secondary with John Johnson and Troy Hill. And I'm confident Boyd's top 10 fancy days versus the Browns are done. But what about Higgins and chase? I'm about to throw a lot more. What ifs at you, but I think they're all legitimate. What if the Browns play the Bengals during one of Denzel Ward's four annual miss games? What if the Browns play that trio early in the calendar and Greedy Williams isn't hundred percent healthy? What if the Browns head to Cincinnati, like it's 2019 all over again, and both greedy and Denzel are out. Then what is Troy Hill supposed to do against all three of them? It's not just the Bengals. I know this is a deep dive on them, but the Steelers have a trio as well. in Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool. Those points lead me to this. Y'all ready? Doug, I am sorry, but in this very moment, whenever our wonderful listeners are hearing this podcast, this is the moment in time when I must officially hop off the Zave train. I'm off too. I'm (laughs) off
1: too. You just did it to me too. I'm off too. I'm off too. You're freaking me out.
0: (laughs) What a moment in time. What a moment in time. That's right. I no longer think, and now Doug no longer thinks, that Zayvon Collins is the best round one selection for Cleveland. Doug, I was going to say drive the Zave train well, but it sounds like you're hopping off with me. Because of this and the issues Cleveland, Cleveland could potentially face at wide receiver, the growing weapons within the division and in Kansas City and Buffalo, the Browns should draft a corner at number 26 or even move up to do so.
1: There's a guy I I was like in a break. Like there's a guy I've been thinking about for three days. I have been slowly moving this direction. I got in a Twitter discussion the other day. Like I still think Zayvon fits a lot of stuff, but as you still go through, all right, the Bengals suck. They might get better. Brown's podcast (laughs) (laughs) rescue. As you really start going through it, it's like you start, the last remaining hole for lack of a better word really the last remaining hole on this roster is that second outside corner spot with the unknown of greedy and with Terrence Mitchell gone. And I, uh, the guy that I've been thinking about for three days is Asante Samuel. Like he's yeah. the guy that like, if you don't think Horn's not going to be there, I don't think Greg Newsom's going to be there. certain certainly not going to be there. Samuel, I think he's a guy with the pedigree. I think he might be more talented than he showed at times in college. Like I think he, I think he might be, even if it's like, all right, he might, maybe he should go in the middle of the second round. I don't know. It's the clowny thing, the way clowny sort of just brought a lot of other things. And then you really start thinking it's like, well, you know, Anthony Walker and Jacob Phillips, like that kid. And then it's greedy. I mean, it's all about greedy. And when you start talking and start talking about, you know, Sammy Watkins in, Baltimore now, right? And Chase Claypool's still in Pittsburgh. And if the Bengals add a guy, but regardless, they still have Higgins, right? Like, it makes a lot of sense. But I think, Scott, like, again, the Browns are at the point. The Bengals aren't good enough to start targeting their moves to their division. The Browns are. So, Ellis, if you're bringing up the point, listen, man, there's some weapons in this division, including in Cincinnati. I can't argue. And I, Zaven, dude. It's been a great run. It really has. <laughs> but I, I I, can't disagree, Scott, with anything that Ellis just said.
2: So two things. Number one, the Browns did re-sign Robert Jackson, who, if I remember correctly, uh, was in the middle of our pick for play of the year. Or was it just Doug's pick? I think he might have persuaded me on, <laughs> the, uh, on that defended two-point try the Steelers of week 17.
1: And that's when I reached out to the agent. I was like, hey, Robert Jackson's done in Cleveland. Could I write about how he made the play of the year? And the guy was like, dude, it's like a roster move. He's back. It'll be fine. And I was like, oh, I don't understand how the league works. Good luck.
0: Doug's <laughs> guy, Robert Jackson.
2: Um, and I totally agree with with uh, the whole cornerback thing because you cannot, if you're the Browns, go into the season banking on Greedy Williams uh, being there and performing at even the level he did as a rookie you just it's i think that's just too big of a risk you know you, you they kind of took care of grant delpit by bringing in john johnson and the you right. know now if grant delpit can't do what you wanted him to do at least not right away you've got two other options right there uh but you don't have that right now at cornerback and yeah i totally agree that if you look at the weapons around this division that you need to to have somebody uh that can handle that. And, and you're right. When you know, Denzel Ward's going to miss games. He's that, that's the trend, you know, until he doesn't, we're going to assume that he will. And, you know, Grady Williams too, he missed games as a rookie. Um, so yeah, behind them, you know, what, what do you have, you know, Robert Jackson aside, you're, you're looking at, you know, MJ Stewart, who uh, would probably slide into the slot and Troy Hill would move outside. And, you know, after that, you're, you're really digging deep into your, into your depth.
1: And, and just back at the Bengals real quick, and I, you've mentioned, obviously, Ellis, I do think it's possible that the Bengals decide just to like not overthink this. And I think the guy maybe in this draft, maybe number one, I mean, I'm just regurgitating what everybody says, who has the greatest chance to be like a transformational NFL player is Kyle Pitts. Right. And if he's there at five, if he doesn't go at four and he's there, maybe you just do that. And then say, well, we'll figure out positional need and whatever, but it's like, what are we doing? Like, and if that happens, that's going to be a thing. Then we're going to be talking in two years from now, we're going to be talking about like, who do the Browns have that covers Kyle Pitts every game? And maybe it is John Johnson, but like that's going to be more of a thing. But as you know, from the draft perspective here, I think that would make a lot of sense. Like, why are we, why are we overthinking this? We're not good yet. Take the best dude, and I think he's the best dude that would be available to them if he doesn't go for.
0: Yeah, I I think it's a great point. When you look at the scarcity at tight end in this league, anyone who plays fantasy football understands that, you know, if you don't have Kelsey Kittle or Waller, you're scraping around looking for someone to start. It, It really translates over to real football where you get production out of the position, but there aren't any game breakers. But it sounds like Kyle Pitts is entering this league and will be a bona fide guy right away and then only progress. And we saw what Travis Kelsey did to the Browns in the playoffs. He did it to everybody. But again, I can't get that spin cycle play on Denzel Ward out of my mind. And if he can do that to Ward, imagine what he's going to do to a safety. So they do need to prepare for whether it's an outside guy like Chase. And like you said, T. Higgins is going to be in his second year. He's only going to keep improving and making plays. They need to prepare for an outside guy or prepare for a complete mismatch problem like Kyle Pitts. And the best way to combat someone like that is just to throw multiple options. You know, be deep and versatile in that spot. And adding a corner both protects you again from greedy in two ways, like Troy Hill inside and outside, and protects you from whatever may keep happening in this arms race that feels like the AFC North. I really think the Bengals maybe just should check in with Joe Brady now and thinks which, which way he thinks they should go
1: with this pick. Cause it's gonna be his deal in a year anyway. So
0: Yeah. Can I can I put a a bow on this with a little, little uh Zach Taylor uh shout out here? Can I end? Can I just listen, Ellis? When you came to us here at Cleveland.com
1: and I remember the first time we did a podcast together and you were bright eyed and and willing to learn and excited about life. And we have now progressed to the point where in a rundown for a podcast, you include the line number five, end with an unprovoked shot at Zach Taylor. And I can't help but think I had a small part in the evolution of Ellis Williams in ending with an unprovoked shot. It warmed my heart, my friend.
0: I'm learning from the best. I, I'm, I try to be a, a decent host sometimes, you know, for whether I get that from Dan lobby or you Scott has really made me look at the numbers. Of course, Mary Kay with the news and the, the, the thoughtful takes and yes, Doug, the, the unprovoked attacks at those unexpected. I, I did inherit from you as well. So I'm about to go in here. Y'all ready? Let's go. All right. What is the Bengals identity under Zach Taylor? They are 6-25-1 over the past two seasons. That's a 20% winning percentage. And they've developed a zero culture while retaining zero in-house talent. They let Carl Lawson, now the Jets, William Jackson of Washington, walk for nothing, as Scott laid out. I have a feeling that both Jackson and Lawson are probably content with leaving Cincy. Remember, this team didn't honor A.J. Green's trade request over the past three seasons and as Scott said earlier really he fizzled out there and let's not forget Carlos Dunlap put his home up for sale immediately following the Browns week seven victory there's issues in Cincinnati there's they're still going on so what is Zach Taylor building in Cincinnati I figured it out he's building an identity-less football team with limited leadership and even less success One year from now, Joe Brady will be the head coach there, and none of this will matter. So I yield the rest of my time. That's a wrap. I'm done with Zach Taylor, a man who clearly isn't one-third the coach Marvin Lewis is. So
1: listen, I'm, I'm, I'm really on this now. The idea of, like, I really do think, I mean, 2022 could be Joe Brady is Kevin Stefanski. And the Bengals are a team that you look at them and they still stink in 2021, but then you look at them and you say, you know what? They have some good players. It feels like they should be a better team. And then they get the guy to bring it all together. And then all of a sudden they win, they make a five win jump or something. And, and maybe if it's not in 22, maybe it's 23, but they've got the quarterback figured out and and they're going to realize this is a thing, this, this young quarterback window, they're going to figure out, listen, man, Burrow is the deal. We we've got him cheap. We can't muck around. Like this is not like let Zach Taylor figure it out for six years territory. Let's go. And if they hit on this pick at five, whoever it is, they get healthy on both sides of the ball. You know, it's not going to happen this year, but I think they have a chance to set themselves up and Scott, I would, I don't, I haven't seen any odds, but again, I'm following Ellis on that. This is, this is it for Zach Taylor. Bandwagon because I don't. I just think they're too good to let him figure out how to be a head coach.
2: So I would. Both you guys just described the twenty nineteen grounds basically. You know, no identity, no leadership, and uh, yeah. no success. And they have a quarterback though. <clears throat> um, a couple things on Taylor. Uh, if you, if anybody listens to our coach rankings podcast, um, I was using uh, the rankings by Edge Sports, which uses some some analytics and. Uh, keeps track of critical calls, all, all those sorts of stuff. Last season, Zach Taylor, thirty-second on this list. He was thirtieth in critical calls, which are calls on you know fourth down or deciding when to kick off or going for onside kick, just things that really um, critical moments in games. Thirty-first uh, in just his team's performance last season, though. Twenty-twenty, Zach Taylor. Yeah. finished 19th. He jumped. And not only that, he was 7th in critical calls, wedged right between Sean McDermott and Andy Reid. So, I mean, he did improve, although 30th, he was 30th in his team's overall performance. And, I mean, that's not all his fault because he lost his quarterback. But, you know, there was improvement there. You know, we to want to throw the Bengals fans a bone here? um, But... Yeah, he, he remains on the, the short list of guys who could be out of a job.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair note to go out on because I wanted to say this before we got off and, and it's not to water down my my Taylor point. I was listening to a, a, a Bengals podcast. Yet Yes, I was listening to a Bengals podcast to prepare for this. And and the, the beat writer made a good point saying like, the Bengals brought Zach Taylor in knowing that they were also like two years away from where they wanted to be. So they could then... Af- afford taylor the time to grow into the role which i think is kind of irresponsible hiring practices to begin with hire a guy who's ready but point being scott's data there lays out that improvement perhaps you can say it's happening but but doug was right in in his point that they can't keep waiting i mean what you just you just can't zach taylor has a chance to be a good head coach in this league eventually he's like 38 years old or something but in life we all learn the hard way and, and, and this one feels over. And I think it'd be in the best interest of the Bengals, especially if they start Rocky that it, it, he'll, he'll, he'll learned and can move on and try this again in, you know, four or five years or something.
1: And it is. And I think it's similar. You know, I, I think it's a little bit like Hugh Jackson, right? Hugh had more of a, of a resume than Zach Taylor did when he got hired by the Browns, but they hired Hugh Jackson. They knew they weren't, the Browns knew they weren't going to be good, but you're not basing. We're not saying this about Zach Taylor based on the record. We know the Bengals aren't going to be good, but it's like, what are you building? What's the culture? How are you related? Like, what is it, what's going on with the team? And you can do some things as a coach to show progress, even if your team's record isn't very good. And that's where it feels like there might, there might be a disconnect. Now maybe he'll prove us all wrong. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the, the Bengals could be like a really competitive, smart, cohesive six and 10 this year and make people say like, you know what, this is the guy that's possible. But it also might be like, you know, if it's not that, then you got to go. You can't wait. You got to go and get somebody else. All right. That's the Cincinnati Bengals. We've done it. We've gone through the AFC North. The draft is coming around the corner. We think at, the, at this point we will give you some deep, deep, deep Jadavion Clowney info on gotta watch the tape, kind of the way we do it here, the way Scott now let's break it down. We think we might do that next week unless we're just... There's clowny fatigue by then. I don't know. I don't know that people will actually do that. I think people are pretty excited. So we've got some good stuff coming. We'll get back to this, I think, with some other, you know, when Scott came up with this idea, it's like, I think we start with a division, but then there's other teams that matter to the Browns because they're trying to win a Super Bowl. So let's break down how other teams did as well this offseason. So we'll come back to some of this stuff later. We're always looking for new ways to, to talk about football through films, through film and numbers on Gotta Watch the Tape. And we appreciate you guys being a part of it. So, it was a 28-hour podcast condensed into one hour for you guys, for Ellis Williams and Scott Patzko. I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in. On gotta watch the tape.